you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter and you see an image that just doesn't look right to you. It's either from a news story or something that a friend or family member shared and it just doesn't sit well with you. Well, chances are it could be a fake. Programs like Photoshop can help you alter images and make them appear real without actually being real. And that's the topic of our conversation today on Tartan Talks with Dr. Larry Downey, who is a math professor and also an expert in the field of image forensics. Through his algorithm and his software program, he's able to upload images and find out whether they have been manipulated or whether they are in fact real. We're going to be doing two things with this podcast today. We have the audio version, but we also have links in the description for the video podcast, which shows these images and shows how Dr. Downey uses his algorithm. His software and his algorithm has been used by the United States government and also at Harvard to detect these fake images. So thank you very much for joining us here today on Tartan Talks. We have Dr. Larry Downey, and we're going to dig into the field of image forensics. This is Tartan Talks, a podcast from Edinburgh University. I'm your host, Christopher LaFuria. Each month, we'll take a look at individuals who make Edinburgh an exciting, diverse, and profound place to discover your passions. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today on a special podcast episode. Uh, We are going to be recording this as a video and the audio. So if you are looking to get the full uh, aspect of this conversation, uh, you can head to our website at edinburgh.edu, or you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash edinburghu. We have here today Dr. Larry Downey, and it's unique that we're doing this as a video and audio because we are going to be talking about the field of image forensics. So we're going to get into what that is. Let's just explain right now that there's a lot of visuals involved. There's a lot of uh, explanations about images. So we will make all of these uh, images available, and you can take a look at everything that we talk about today on our website and on YouTube. So Dr. Larry Downey is in the mathematics department here at Edinburgh. He studied functional analysis and operator theory. He's published papers in peer-reviewed journals. Uh, He also studies, uh, he researches pure and applied mathematics. He's contributed several papers on mechanical engineering, uh, and he's developed several software programs, one of which we're going to be talking about today. So for you math fans, for math students, Dr. Larry Downey is a great advocate, great resource, but today we're going to be talking about photography. In particular, we're going to talk about image forensics. He's been sought after by for his consultation skills with the United States government, with Harvard University. Um, but basically, it's his goal in life and in his career is to show the beauty of mathematics and uh, how it can be positive in people's lives. Today, when you look on the internet, there's all sorts of images that are going around. Many are from news sources that have been captured candidly as events are happening. But when you get to the darker part of the web, you can see images that are fabricated or edited or made to fit somebody's narrative that may or may not be true. So we're gonna talk about image forensics and how we can spot images that are false or images that have been doctored. Uh, And Dr. Downey here has developed software to help us take a look at that. So before we get started, can you explain to us exactly what image forensics is as a field and also as a science? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, 
I should um, delineate between image forensics and digital image forensics. So image forensics probably has been a, is a very old discipline, uh, but prior to digital images, it was more um, looking at scale, etc. cetera. Uh, there really wasn't the issue as, as often as there is now with, with fake images, but with <clears throat> modern software like Photoshop, uh, the editing capability is incredible. And it's actually not so hard to edit something in or out of an image essentially to make a forged image. So digital image forensics is a field, it's a nice blend of mathematics and computer science and statistics in which uh, algorithms are developed to look through a, a digital image, which a digital image is just an array of numbers. And um, <clears throat> to look numerically through the image and try to find the fingerprints of forgeries. Um, it's really, really easy to, to make a fake image and the human eye is, it's impossible for the human eye to detect the forgery. So, but what's left behind sometimes, hopefully, are the numerical fingerprints of the forgery. And so in image forensics, we develop algorithms looking for traces that, that, there, that the image was tampered with. It's almost like viruses on a computer. The people that develop the viruses usually are a little bit ahead of the game. And then the people who try to get the virus protection software are catching up as cat and mouse. It's similar for the field of image forensics. So as we develop algorithms which can catch the forgeries, then the forgers have to get a little more sophisticated and then our algorithms have to catch up with the more sophisticated tools that are developed. So now I, I know you're uh, you're a fine art photographer, you're an outdoors person. So I know that you've been interested in photography uh, your, you know, in your adult life, probably beyond that. Mm -hmm. So um, when did you get the idea to combine your love of photography with this ma this mathematic and scientific field? Actually, it started as an undergraduate research project. I was, I had a student, we were doing some, uh, we were just trying to find algorithms which could help uh, further compress an image without loss of quality. We may get into this a little bit, is the JPEG algorithm, everybody has, knows what a JPEG image is. It's actually an algorithm itself and it compresses the image so that it's less information and easier to email or, or um, text or whatever, but there's some loss of quality there. Um, there's actually a, a lot of loss of numerical information, even if it visually looks okay. Uh, we were looking to find a, a, a better compression algorithm and it just so happened that my student's father was um, fairly high up in, a, in an academic publishing company. And what he was aware of was that um, in modern times, digital images are used to capture things like DNA and tissues. And those are the corroborative evidence for the, um, for the research. And if people can just fake their image, they change what their research is saying. And, and this had become a problem. People were trying to advance their careers and they were using digital images to fake their research. So he actually, when he, under, when he understood what me and uh, my his son were working on, uh, he said, hey, if, why don't you guys work on this problem? This would have a great application in the real world right now if you guys could find a way to um, numerically determine if an image had been tampered with or not. And so that was some years ago. And um, 
took off? So I think when a lot of people think of image forensics, um, the, the Hollywoodization of the field kind of takes over. Um, I was recently reading a story about there was a debate whether um, President Biden was actually standing in front of the White House or whether the picture of him doing so had actually been photoshopped to have that image in the background. So we see a lot of people might think of this field as you know, a way to hold politicians accountable or you see a lot in Hollywood when we're doing whether it's smear campaigns or whether we're trying to, you know, have a gotcha moment with an actor or actress. But what you're saying and what it seems to be is that you find a lot more of this in, you know, scientific research. Uh, I mean, we do see it in the national level in Hollywood and with celebrities, but it's much more of a, a, a wider issue than just that. So people can sure. get ahead of their their field and research or kind of uh, maybe they're applying for funding and they can kind of fudge the numbers and the, the images to kind of support their projections. So talk a little bit about how widespread that is when it comes to things like DNA mapping or research projects, like how, how prevalent is this and, and why do you see it being an issue? Yeah, um, I'm probably a little less qualified to talk about how prevalent it truly is but I, I can say it's it's uncomfortably prevalent in 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 very serious scientific journals. I won't name any, but I have worked with them, and 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 in fact, I will show you an example in a little bit um, of <clears throat> a digital image of DNA. They're actually called gel stains, and um, not even sure how they're captured. Ultimately, the science behind capturing, but they are ultimately end up as a digital image, and if they are subsequently manipulated it just completely falsifies the research. And um, um, there are some pretty famous cases in academic publishing of, of uh, very high level journals publishing groundbreaking DNA you know, related uh, research. And it wasn't for some years that it happened to come out that it was absolutely fake. So um, yeah, pictures of celebrities doing things or the president, um, uh, some of those actually um, certainly could have national security implications. Uh, I don't know about the celebrities, but um, the, the scientific corroborative evidence of scientific research is really an important, you know, it's important that we have correct research published. And it, it is, so I, I will say it's more prevalent than people would, would, would imagine. That's interesting. So I know, and we're going to talk about your software program that you um, established to kind of detect these issues, but how, and you were saying this has been long before digital imaging. So back when we were using, you know, print photography and even in the early stages of digital photography, how were these sorts of instances detected without these advanced uh, software programs? Yeah, that's why I wanted to delineate the fields. Digital image forensics is again, mathematics, computer science, statistics. I, I know very little about the old school image forensics, but for example, I remember seeing a, um, a documentary on uh, um, Pearl Harbor and somebody claimed that this object, it was early photos before the incident started that there were these little uh, blips in the harbor and they thought that the, there were submarines in the harbor much earlier and so, um, and these were just the old fashioned photographs. And so I think the image forensics then was more analyzing, you know, it wasn't that the image was fake so much as how can we tell what was really in the image and projecting by scales, et cetera, can we uh, 
say what this really was a, a photo of. And, and I think um, before digital imaging, back in the days of black and white photography and black and white videography, was it, it was almost easier to manipulate things. I mean, a good example is the, the Hitchcock film Psycho when they used chocolate syrup to make the, to, to <laughs> denote the, the blood scene in, in the shower. So um, when I took a black and white photography class in high school, we actually had a project where we needed to take an image of something and um, kind of trick our audiences into believing that it was something else. So I went out right. in my yard and I took a black and white photo of a, a mud puddle that a tire had just driven through. And when I focused on it and had the print made, it kind of looked like a mountainscape. So I made it into a, to a print of like this really nice looking mountain, but it was really a tire in a mud puddle. So whereas right now we're using digital images or to find that mathematic code behind it, back then it was almost a, uh, like an artistic sort of manipulation um, where you can kind of use an image that isn't necessarily used the correct way to kind of promote uh, a talking point or a narration. Right, and so I think that would have been the old school of image forensics would have looked to me if you picked the photo of the mud puddle would, even though you're saying it's something else, to me it would be an authentic image. So digital image forensics doesn't um, attempt to make a claim about what the image says, but just whether it's been tampered with or not, whether it is uh, represents the raw data that came from the, the original device. That's essentially what, what we're looking for. Sure. Other can make statements about, you know, once we say, yeah, this is an authentic image, other people would say what it really means at that point, so. That's, that's interesting. So um, whether it's using the actual photograph or a software program, um, as, far as, as far back as photography has gone, people have been using images, whether fake or accurate, to kind of shift the narrative or, you know, Certainly, put forward yeah. their own messages. Um, what I guess, are some of the drawbacks to, to the science. I know I honestly wasn't too familiar with image forensics until we started chatting about it. So um, are there, are there, I mean, is, is the software relatively new or do you find um, getting an audience for this, people are maybe a little more reluctant to, to dig into algorithms. I find that when people don't understand software and algorithms, they're easy to write off the science. But um, as and what we'll see here soon is that it's a basic software program where you can detect very close off or very close up, you know, forgery. So what, what are some of the issues that, that you found with kind of presenting this material? Uh, that's a good question. Um, and again, I'll do, if we do that little demo, I'll show you an image and explain how the, the mainstream media seems to be a little bit reluctant to to acknowledge the existence of such software. I, but um, for the most part, uh, it's still a fairly new uh, science. Um, and, uh, you know, it certainly was not much of a, there wasn't much of a need before powerful editing tools like Photoshop were developed. So it's kind of followed uh, as, as the um, editing power increases. Uh, so has the, the need for image forensics. But um, I would say almost all software, image forensic software is proprietary right now. Um, uh, there's certainly um, in-house versions with the FBI, CIA, etc. cetera. Um, there are some commercially available um, and there are software like myself that I've used um, just for my academic purposes. 
but there's really it the, it's the, the world isn't full of image forensic software right now it's not a common common type of thing you can't just find a website upload an image and it'll push back and say yes this is fake or yes this is you can but it's not as accurate as some of the yeah i i don't want to say that it's not there right now the last time i checked i didn't there may be but um i can tell you that now i'm not someone who goes and forges images and put tries to um pass them off as uh authentic but i would certainly know how to do it because right and i know because i know how forgers do it and um i need to know how they do it so i know what to look for but um, I'm very sure that um, uh, there is no way that software is going to, a modest, modestly talented forger could uh, make an image that software that's going to scan through in a few seconds would, would not detect. Yeah. So, so it's I guess, um, complicated. Yeah. So getting down to the, uh, the details of your software without giving out too much of your proprietary information or without you know, get as specific with math as you like. Tell us a little bit about how your software program works. Um, and you can use as many scientific terms, mathematic terms as possible. Since this is an advanced math field, you know, give yeah. us a little description of how that works. And then afterwards, maybe we can take a look at some of your images. Yeah, and actually I'll, I'll be able to explain more while we're looking at those. But yeah, essentially a digital image is an array or often it's three arrays, uh, there's color channels, red, green, blue, say, the RGB format. But just imagine array or several arrays of numbers. And when, when, it, when, the, uh, when the raw, Im raw image comes off of the device, that's, you know, usually I'm talking about a camera, it's an array of numbers. Now, if somebody goes and uses Photoshop, say they do some cloning, they want to edit something in or out, all the other different tools, all that those tools are doing are changing the, the numbers to get the desired effect, okay? And so one thing we can look for is, are there disruptions in what we would expect to be the natural frequencies of the image? Um, and again, that depends on whatever tool we think may have been used, they, you know, the fingerprints may, uh, may be detectable. It depends on the tool what we're, we're scanning for. Um, one of, again, one of the big issues in image forensics is I think it's actually referred to as the JPEG problem, is that when you take uh, uh, the raw image, suppose I go and I, I fake the image and I subsequently save it as a JPEG after I've made the changes. JPEG is so disruptive numerically that it can actually be used to disguise those forgeries. Hmm, interesting. Okay, and I'll, I'll and actually, would you like to see what I'm? Yeah, let's 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 get started. And uh, while you're getting set up, um, if you could, uh, like, I guess when it comes down to it, I, I know there, there there's a there's a moral issue uh, with faking photos, but why do you think um, right now things have been you know th this sort of need or desire to fake photos why do you think it's it's gotten to be such a big issue is it because people are trying to benefit financially or i, I know there's a big viral culture where people want images and their own personalities and their own brand to go viral so like why do you think why do you think it, it's begun to be such an issue i i guess it, it can change forger to forger but profit is one of the obvious reasons um the people that um, that I've been involved with when there, when there's been a suspected case of forgery, it's been that they were going to profit in a sense by um, putting forth 
research which would make them advance their career. You know, um, I, I can imagine there's other reasons uh, in the media. You know, just a, this sensational photo. It's if, when it's going to get attention. It's there's profit. Yeah. And sometimes it, it gets to the point where it reaches like a national news organization or a national, while you, while you get set up real quick, I'll talk yeah, to you about- I, uh, am, I, am I ready to share screen? Yeah, yep, you're ready to share screen. And, and while okay. you get set up, I'll, I'll, I wanted to talk about one of the images that I remember from studying in college. It was um, an image supposedly, it, it was tagged as an AP photo. It was a picture of the actress Jane Fonda appearing alongside um, John Kerry uh, at, a, at an anti-Vietnam rally, an anti-war rally. But when people actually took a closer look at it, they found that there was a picture of John Kerry sitting with a pad of paper and somebody took an image of Jane Fonda speaking at an event and kind of tied those together. And that got all the way up to AP and they were sharing this photo of the actress and the politician speaking together. And that for the 1960s and 70s, that photo kind of went viral when it turns out it was that event never, never actually took place. <laughs> right. Well, so there was obviously a profit slash political motive, right? So, you know. Yeah. And I, and I think where we. My, oh, I'm sorry. Are you seeing my screen? It yep. says, welcome to Adam. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I've had screen sharing issues recently, so. Yep. So for, for the people that are listening uh, to this podcast uh, in, the, in the audio version, we will make this video available uh, in our YouTube channel and we will include that in the comments so you can link right to it. Um, and for those of you that are watching on YouTube, this is um, a little preview or a little uh, mini investigation into uh, Dr. Downey's software. So uh, like I said, uh, you, we, we will describe this for the audio listeners, but we will also make the video available for you to take a look at too. So. Um, here we go in, into the software program. All right, yeah, thanks. Um, so this is software that I wrote to um, really, for the most part, for my own use. Um, it has been it has been used in academic publishing as well. But um, speaking of images which came um, through across the wires and the mainstream media, um, this image came across the wires, and uh, for example. This was aired on CNN, Fox News, and ultimately all the all the local stations around the country. And for, now, for those of you are for those of you that are listening, this is a side by side of what looks to be a bonfire, and the the flames are kind of arranged in the pattern of a person. And the right side, it looks like Pope John Paul II posing and waving. And I think what the uh, vir the viralness of this picture was that people saw they they basically saw the Pope in that. That they, they basically saw as a sign that he was there. It was kind of like a like a reincarnation or kind of like a spiritual gathering. Right. That, that he, they saw him in the image of the flames. Right. So the, the this was the the photo of the, the the flames was taken a year after the Pope had had passed away. Now on the right, the photo of the Pope is an authentic photo. That's truly a photo of the Pope while he was still alive. But the claim was that his spirit came back in this bonfire, which was at a ceremony held for him. And believe it or not, this just absolutely went viral around the world. And somebody brought it to my attention. And the same day it came out, I, I did the following analysis. So um, so here's the software. 
looking at the image in a certain mathematical way. So right now you don't see anything. You see the, uh, the authentic image and then the far, but if I look at it the right way, I change some parameters, something starts to be exposed. So if you see in the, uh, the image on, on the left, this dark, big dark black kind of regular shaped, you know, area, what that's clear, that's clear to someone like myself that that would never occur in a natural image. You see the image on the right um, in the Pope, uh, the authentic image, okay? Nothing like that's going to occur. And it, what it was apparent is that the forger built up that figure in probably Photoshop or some editing. And then you can also see the use of tools uh, around the edge here, okay? So it was, this was an this was a no-brainer, it was an absolutely fake image, okay? So there are tools within Photoshop, like the clone stamp and the painting mm -hmm. tool that you can actually go in there and reorganize all of the, the numbers from this right. picture and to kind of fit what you're trying to make. So while, while the fire itself came from a true real image, it was entered into a software uh, program and manipulated to look just like the outline of the Pope. And, and you were able to find that through running through your algorithm in this software. Yeah, just, you had to look at it in the right way. If you look, um, I'll close that. If you look at the image, there's no way you'd know that just visually, you know, you can't, the human eye won't pick up things like that, numerical changes, but you have to look at it in the right way. And then you can see that the image has been um, forged. And this is one of those things that we talk about motive for this too. I mean, you were saying it got on all the national news channels. So somebody yeah. submitting this had their, their work promoted to the national audience. And I'm sure these news organizations saw that as an opportunity to get more viewers. So um, w while they may not necessarily know that they were projecting a fake image, uh, th that's how skillful these forgers are that they can actually take something like this and and give it to professionals and pass it off as a real thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. At that time, I contacted all of the news organizations, including the local news organization. I told them that I know it's a fake image and can, can demonstrate it. Um, and this was even prior to their running it that evening. And I will say at that time, now this is some years ago, They see, news organizations seemed uninterested in whether this was fake or authentic. I, I don't know about, you know, my guess is that's still the case because, um, you know, they can always just put their hands up and say, how, how could we have known, right? And that's kind of, I think that's, I think that's where image forensics is in the media. Um, and almost if, if you look at it now, the, the, the story of discovering that an image was fake almost gets the same media coverage as the original image. Like it becomes breaking news that an image that went viral is actually fake. So thus, thus continuing that cycle of, of news stories. So instead of kind of right. saying that it's fake to begin with, they kind of just add it to their news coverage. Yeah, I mean, so again, what I, I, all I can say is, is I think the interest isn't there in the media. Now, I think uh, academic publishing and um, uh, the national security type situation, FBI, they are interested in, in, 
images and the validity of images though. So. Now, can, can you take us, now that we've seen this picture of the Pope and, and the bonfire that went viral, can you take, take us through uh, an image of the DNA manipulation that you yeah. can show us and how this is used kind of like as a, to, um, to try and yes. pass off false research? Right. Now, before I, right before I do that, I will bring up another one. And I mentioned the image uh, or the JPEG issue. Here, this, we'll get to DNA in a second. This is a slide of tissue. This is another type of image, digital image that would be submitted as part of uh, you know, research. And um, if we look here, I'm gonna look at this for un, what I'd call unnatural similarities. This was a, actually a TIFF file. And here's the output. And now again, you have to know how to read the, uh, the output, but these uh, blue blotches here would never occur in a natural image. So and what so, we saw, the first image we saw is of tissue that was yeah. more or less a black and white image of tissue that to mm -hmm. any unsuspected person can see that is just a basic x-ray almost, or not necessarily yeah. an x-ray, but like a, uh, a microscope issue, microscopic um, right. picture of tissue. So when right. you ran the similarity uh, feature on your program, what shows is a completely blacked out picture with these giant light blue splotches at various right. points on the image. And what you're yeah. saying is those images are evidence of manipulation. These, the blue spots are where there were edits. And my guess is that something was either edited in or likely edited out. Um, you can use the clone stamp feature to edit certain things out. So you take something that's in the native image and use that and clone it over something you want to edit out. And I suspect that's what would happen here. And it's very plain, but the important thing is this was a TIFF file, which is an uncompressed file. Now I'd like to load essentially the same image. This is, if you, if you recall what, if you were watching what the, the first image I loaded, it looked exactly like this. This is just a JPEG. Uh, I took from my own um, experimentation, took the image where I found the edits and I saved it as a JPEG. Now I'm, I'm not changing any of the parameters on this program. I'm gonna run the exact same analysis. And we're gonna get a, a very, very different result. And again, so, the only thing that was different is that the TIFF file was saved as a JPEG subsequently. So the, 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 the before picture, the first picture we saw, for all intents and purposes is the same exact microscope picture of the tissue black and white, but when the first time you ran a similarity tool, we saw blue splotches that could be from the clone stamp or a different sort of manipulation tool. Whereas in the, and that was in the TIFF file, in the JPEG right. file, we're noticing little green specks on the screen, but not necessarily anything that shows yeah. intentional well, manipulation. Right, now, because we had the benefit of the TIFF file, I, you know, you could look, well, I may see something here. So there is a way sometimes to mathematically recover what was lost under JPEG. So I'm using this enhancement tool and then I'll get rid of some what's noise. And I, I can recover the edits, but that's in this case. That is not always the case, okay? So the, the JPEG algorithm, again, pre presents, it's one of the big problems in image forensics, actually. Now you, you actually mentioned about um, DNA. So here's an actual photo of, a, it's called a gel stain. This is a, an image of DNA or part of the, a DNA strand, I suppose. And um, this, is a, this was actually submitted for publication in a very respected scientific journal. 
and for and those listen, for those listening, we have a series of um, eight lines that go from left to right, little line segments that appear to be getting darker and darker as we go from left to right. So it's basically like think of it as a series of hyphens that are on a screen. Right. And so again, if you would look at this, how could you ever visually say, well, there's something wrong with this? It's it is what it is. It looks like a normal gel stain. And now I'm going to look in um, because I know I've analyzed this where I know that I need to tweak some parameters here. And I'm going to run the same unnatural similarity scan here on this. And let's see what happens. And I, I get a lot of what I'd call noise and the little dots here. You know, there are, in an image like this, there are going to be places that are very similar statistically, because it's a very kind of homogeneous type of background. But I do see some something very suspicious here. There's two the output is of the scan is these two big blotches, but I'm not 100% sure. I think there's something going on. And I can tell you just by changing, watch what happens when I change one parameter here. I'm gonna make this approximation parameter 0.2 and I'm gonna run the same thing. Um, and it will get, a, a, I think a more definitive result. Okay. Oh yeah, so we saw the first image was just a series of hyphens in a row. The second series where you compressed it and ran a similarity tool, we had, I think the fifth and seventh hyphen of the, 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 the mark on the stain had a, a bigger, more amplified collection of what looks like neon green, neon yellow little dots um, with all the other ones just having a little bit of noise, not so much a concentrated image. But after you ran the, the different parameters and ran the test again, getting rid of the noise, it looks like a substantial effort to manipulate the fifth and seventh um, yes. portion of that segment. So uh, without a doubt, there's there's evidence that there was some sort of manipulation going on. Yeah. Now we had to look deeper. We had to change some parameters. I had to do some enhancement. Um, and um, I had to change the one parameter I was looking instead of what I called the raw, I, I switched it to, I'm assuming it was compressed. And so I had to look, if you will, all the deeper and uh, a, a little more statistically deeper into the image. Uh, numerically to see if there was something unnaturally similar. Fascinating. And, and like I said, uh, this, the images that we're using and the video that we're using will be available on our YouTube, which we will include in the comments or in the description of this podcast. So if you're looking at to, if you actually want to see what's happening here, which is absolutely fascinating, uh, you can take a look at that uh, in, in the uh, description. So there's definitely some, some editing and manipula manipulation going on. And, and you're saying you're not you're not in a place where you can say how prominent this is, but I feel like there there there's a lot of implications. What do you hope to see with with this software with with this effort to kind of filter out? Um, now you can you can stop sharing your screen if you if you're if you're finished showing. But yeah, this is this is the software that Dr. Downey developed himself and has been able to duplicate with different images. So I guess once we've seen this in action, what do you hope to see? as the experience with fake images gets more prevalent, what do you hope to see with your software? Well, uh, with, with my software, um, well, I, it would be nice, um, again, if this software was maybe adopted a little more, um, and not necessarily mine, but versions like it, used a little more, um, if you will, liberally in certainly the media, 
So instead of the media throwing their hands up and saying, well, we could never have known, well, maybe if it has some implication, if the image is, has, you know, other than just, you know, some images, who cares whether it's real or not, but they're like, like the one you mentioned with John Kerry and Jane Fonda, if this has some implication, maybe don't just throw your hands up in the air, but maybe employ some standards before you publish an image, right? And, and there, there are so some uh, sports media uh, or, uh, companies, especially on Twitter that like say example, uh, a quarterback gets traded from one team to the other. Now, before they get into uniform, they can actually go into Photoshop and Photoshop that quarterback into their new uniform. And it's yeah. it, it basically, they just want to see what the person's going to look right. like. So there are instances of image manipulation that is for entertainment and not necessarily used for hard news. But like you're saying, when, when it becomes an issue of national security or with uh, politicians or even news stories like the one with John Kerry, that could have major implications for, you know, the... For the, for the field of, of journalism and for the field of academic research. Yeah, so uh, maybe just some more responsibility taken be, by, by uh, mainstream media outlets before they just throw images out there that can either hurt somebody or, you know, worse, you know, so. How can you see this field become more advanced? I know this software, uh, how, how old is the software that you developed? This software, um, that's a good question. Now, it's it's some... Um, I've had this software around for at least eight years now. Um, and the, 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 there are people actively, it's a, a very active, when I say very active, there aren't many people in digital image forensics, but there, there's a group of people and that are working on it and algorithms you know, are published in journals. I had a, an advance in one of my algorithms. I actually published the algorithm a few years back you know, as, as part of, a, as, a, you know, as an academic and uh, uh, other academics are doing the same thing. They're advancing algorithms and trying to again play, uh, you know, play catch up with the forgers. And I and I suspect that um, all of this is probably going to um, funnel down into artificial intelligence at some point, and yeah. that and all the algorithms are going to have to, because I think the, the the forgers will ultimately be using AI to to forge the images. So sure. we're going to probably have to use AI to to detect them to catch them. Yeah. Um, so I guess you're, you teach math, you're a professor, you have a busy, you, you have a busy life. Why is this so important to you? Why is image forensics so important that you spend time developing software and consulting with the government and with Harvard University? What, why is it so important that you get this message out there and that you continue to work on it? Well, I would like to say it's a, a, a completely pure, but on the other hand, I mean, it is how I make my living and um, it's part of, as an academic, I need to do research. I do do research in um, say some more pure type of mathematics areas too, but this is, I gotta say, this is a really fun thing to research. Um, I've always enjoyed programming. I also uh, have a, you know, PhD in mathematics. And so it's a, it's a great blend of that. And, um, you know, you can only do so much pure mathematics. You want to get your hands on something. And this is a, a very applied um, area of research. And you can, you can just watch what you've, you know, worked on actually, you know, work, actually catch people who are forging images. That's kind of cool. So. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, uh, as an academic, somebody working in higher education, this is a field that's kind of at the intersection of arts and science too. So you have the artistic element of photography and photo editing and all that stuff. And then you have the 
computer science and math too. So this is kind of like integration of all different types of skills and backgrounds and fields kind of into one. And I mean, I, I can't imagine what it feels like to, to upload an image and to have that aha moment that you caught a forged image yeah. or that you're able to find <laughs> something that was fake. What was your reaction the first time you found an image that was false? Could you believe it? Or was it something like, I expected it. This is something that I hoped would happen. No, and actually the, the first one of any consequence, I think was the one that we, uh, we talked about or showed the, uh, the image of the quote unquote, the spirit of the Pope and the fire, okay? Um, so I was very elated that day. And within a few days I was deflated because nobody seems to care. <laughs> yeah. Then eventually the software I, it did make its way into academic publishing and there have been uh, numerous um, journal articles that were retracted uh, because you know the, the image was found to be fake and that now I the image forensics person doesn't get involved in making a judgment. Um, sometimes you find that an image has been manipulated. The, the would-be publisher goes to the uh, author and says, "Hey, what's up with this image? This is." And they, "Oh, well, I was just cleaning it up." And and then maybe maybe it then still gets published, right? Um, my job as the image forensics guy is just to say, "Hey, look, this has been manipulated." So. Yeah someone else make a judgment about it. And it looks like if you take a look at any organization, whether it's news or politics, if, if they're involved online somewhere, the fact checking and um, things like that, it's starting to grow. You see uh, organizations and news sources like the Washington Post and Reuters and PolitiFact all employing fact checkers to you know, source through all the news to find you know, information that's passed up as facts. So it could be an implication that this this field could be right up there with the the fact checkers of today's media too. So that that could definitely be something to to perceive in the future. Well, I hope so. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for for joining us and for for explaining your field and for, for giving us a couple of these examples. Um, once again, like I said, we uh, if you're listening from the for the audio podcast. We will make the images and this presentation available on YouTube, and you can check the, the description for the link. I do want to thank Dr. Larry Downey for joining us here today and sharing his expertise and for kind of explaining how important image forensics is these days and, and kind of show that, you know, not we're not out to show that every image is fake out there, but it is kind of nice to have your your detective hat on when, you, when you're looking for things online. So, so thank you for sharing your expertise and for, for opening our eyes to this field. Well, hey, thanks for having me here, Chris. I appreciate it.